right. Well, welcome, everyone. This is Ben and Cynthia. Welcome to week three of Nancy Guthrie's Seeing Jesus in Genesis, where we will discuss the story of the fall in Genesis 2 through 3. But before we actually get started, mm, we have mm-hmm. to set the record straight from yep. last week. Mm-hmm. So we have to start with me saying, <laughs> you are right. Yes. And so this is recorded. So you can just keep <laughs> that clip and play it. And so you were right about... I can't even say his name now, but Indigo Montoya. Yeah, it's not Indigo. I guess nobody, nobody in the world other than people who grew up in South Georgia would think that it was Indigo. But yep, so that's his name, Indigo Montoya. Uh, we got a lot of uh, comments. The Princess Bride sure is quite did. popular movie. So well, maybe we'll schedule a church movie night where we where we we watch it. But. Um, this is not a, a podcast that's a movie review. It's an exercise in biblical theology. And so at Trinity, we love sound doctrine. We want to know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus. And the best way to know him is to see him in in his word and to hear his voice. And so biblical theology is the discipline of reading the Bible in such a way where you put the whole thing together in the light of who Christ is and what he's done. Mm-hmm. So the crucifixion, the resurrection, it it sheds light on the entire entire thing. And so we're looking at Genesis chapter 2 and 3. So let's start first with just note, noting some of the, the structure of the passage. Mm-hmm. What's here? Um, kind of unpacking the structure of a passage is so important to understanding its meaning. Mm-hmm. So many of the biblical authors uh, kind of embed the meaning in in the structure. And as we look at Genesis 2 and 3, it really is one of the richest passages in all of Scripture, because what it does is it gives um, frameworks. Mm -hmm. It provides paradigms. So I I really believe you can't understand who you are and why the world is the way it is without really immersing yourself in Genesis 2 and 3. Just going back through some of my old sermons on this, I don't know... uh, if you remember, but I preached probably five or six <laughs> sermons on this at, at Corn Creek. Uh-huh. And uh, it's so rich, not even beginning to exhaust it. I was looking over some of Lloyd-Jones sermons. He did 12 just on Genesis chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, still just scratching the surface. There's mm-hmm. so many things. Um, it gives us a framework for uh, the battle we're in. You know, you can learn about how Satan tempts you and his strategies. It gives you um, a framework for our purpose in Genesis chapter two, like why are we here? Mm-hmm. What is work? What are we called to do? It gives you guidance on relationships, their meaning, and how we're meant to to thrive and how they get broken. And there's just so much here. But uh, as you're reading, a couple things to note. Notice, so look at Genesis chapter two, verse four. So you read verse four for us. Okay. Genesis 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. All right, so one of the things you want to do, get in the habit of when you're reading the Bible, is uh, especially when you want to read chunks, is to read and look for repetitions, key words, key refrains. And then notice in Genesis chapter 5, so read Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So Genesis 2, 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. Chapter 5, 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Mm-hmm. That's actually a, a refrain 
that will be repeated all throughout Genesis. Mm -hmm. Would you be impressed if I gave you like the technical word? Would you be impressed? (laughs) Go for it. It's it's called the the Toledot formula. (laughs) Uh, These are the generations. And there's 10 of them. I actually think the number 10 is significant, but we won't go into that now. But there's 10 of them. And they actually, they frame the, they're literary frames to framing the book. Because remember, this would originally be heard. It's meant to be heard. And so that gives you um, frames. And so actually from 2-4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then from 5-1, this is the generations of Adam. So from 2 through four is one block. This is one connected story. So when you're reading two through four, you need to think of it almost like one kind of unified event and read it together. Mm -hmm. And so you can almost think of it like a three act play. Chapter two is one act. Chapter three is the next act. Chapter four is Mm -hmm. the next act. And even in that, there's a structure where there's narrative and then it concludes with a song Mm -hmm. or a poem. And both of our Bibles are double columns. So sometimes in double column, it's a little hard to see what's kind of narrative and then what's poetic. But you you, you can see it some because mm-hmm. notice how two all the way to verse 23 in mm-hmm. chapter two, and then it ends with Adam's song at the mm-hmm. creation of Eve. That's the climax of the chapter, the creation of Eve. And he sings this at last song. And the James wasn't the first. <laughs> he sings it here. And then in chapter three, it builds up. And then there's actually, it's, the actually the curse, the song of the curse is is poetic. And then chapter four, there's there's narrative and then it culminates in in Lemmick's uh song there. Mm. So those are some of the things that can help you as you're reading through just make sense of the structure and how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. And so we're just looking at Genesis two and three, not not four yet, but it it's it's all a unit, it's all together. And even Genesis one through eleven is one large unit. So a helpful reading exercise would be reading 1 through 11 all together and seeing how it all fits together. Hmm. All right. But as we said, there's so much here. It's just so, so rich. And I think the things for this podcast we'd like to focus in on. So there, there is so much here, and it's, it's so rich. But for a few minutes, let's just talk about a couple things that are really uh, significant to us and and our church and and how we conceptualize of of marriage and ministry and things along those lines. But first is is after the fall when you're reading through the fall account, mm-hmm. we think that explains so much about why the world is as it is and why we are the way we are and what our core problems are. One of the things that you see here is this fourfold brokenness. So once Adam and Eve disobey, sin enters into the world, and then there's this cascading effect. So part of Satan's strategy to tempt them is um, to question God's command. And uh, God promised that once they sin, they'll surely die. And they, you know, will you surely die? And then here's uh, the cascading effect of death, and it begins with this brokenness or separation. You know, the sting of sin is separation. And in essence, what death is, is separation. I mean, death, physical death is separation from, you know, soul and body. And 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 there's this fourfold brokenness. First, it's um, the spiritual brokenness. Our relationship with God is now broken. So you can see in chapters two that Adam and Eve were made for intimacy with God, for him dwelling with them in the garden. 
Another rich theme you could unpack in the whole Bible is how the garden is originally the temple. It's the first temple. It's God's dwelling place uh, on earth, and they were made to uh, dwell with him and walk with him in intimacy, and now that spiritual relationship is broken. Mm-hmm. And then you see the next effect is that their own uh, internal wholeness is now broken. Because it says in, in chapter 2, they were naked and they were unashamed. And then all of a sudden, once sin enters, they realize that they're, they're naked, they're exposed. Shame enters in. And so now shame grips their heart. And so internally or personally or emotionally, now broken. And then comes the relational brokenness. Because as soon as God confronts them, they begin this whole cycle. The, the blame game starts. This cycle of of blaming and throwing the other underneath the bus. And that really gets at one of the heart of what sin is. It's a almost an, a willingness or an eagerness to throw anyone else under the bus to justify yourself. You know, we're masters at constructing reality so that we're the heroes mm-hmm. or we're the victims. And uh, sin, in essence, is exploiting another to enhance your life. So the relational brokenness. And then comes the environmental brokenness. That's kind of embedded in the curse that in chapter two, Adam was given a job to do to work and it was good. It's part of paradise. But then in chapter three, in a result of the curse, he still has work to do, but now um, he's estranged from the land. And so both the work and the world, um, you know, work is filled with thorns and thistles and this, this gets at why, in one sense, we feel not just internal brokenness, but we're in a broken world mm-hmm. where we know it and we can feel it and all of those effects. So that fourfold brokenness, spiritual, personal, relational, and almost environmental or I don't, I don't really have a good word for for you. Circumstantial, mm-hmm. environmental. So those are really good frameworks on the conceptual level, but how would we unpack that more on a personal level? How can we kind of get more practical with that? Yeah, I think you would, you know, one of the keys is to take each of them and really each of those four things the Bible unpacks in a full and rich way. And the glory of the gospel is that it provides a solution for all of them. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, we can start with or just think through the relational like the way that Genesis chapter three and and the curse gives us categories for understanding our own um, sinful relational tendencies and and dynamics. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we found really helpful is using those basic categories of the kind of basic core sin. And so I think Adam's core sin here is that he hides, he withdraws, mm-hmm. and um, on multiple levels, you see mm-hmm. him withdrawing. And then part of the, the curse on Eve is, um, so in Genesis three sixteen, when God says that your desire will be for your husband, that's not like desire in this romantic or sentimental um, sense. It's about control. You're, you're going to grasp. You're going to try and, and grasp, but he'll, he'll elude you. So you can see those kind of two core sins of the man hiding and the, the woman seeking control. Mm-hmm. And so just being able to name those and have those that framework is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just chat for a few minutes about how we, um, how those things can work themselves out in people's lives. Mm-hmm. So I think two ways that both men and women either hide or seek control, we, we both can do them in a passive 
way and then in a more aggressive way. But we both do both. So we, um, so women, our tendency, our original tendency to seek control of the man, we can do that in such a myriad of ways, but it's almost like on this continuum of a more passive way of seeking self-control, I'm sorry, um, seeking control of, of the man. But then there's more of aggressive ways that we do that more overt, more visible ways of of doing that. Obviously manipulative Mm -hmm. kind of ways. Yeah. And then the man as well, you know, there's just ways of being, um, more distant, more passive in, in hiding. And uh-huh. then there's the more aggressive domineering ways that uh-huh. men can hide. Uh-huh. Um, and that, yeah. So let's, let's kind of think through those two categories. So I know we normally say ladies first, but we'll, we'll start with the men and our tendencies to withdraw from relational intimacy. And so kind of passive ways that we can withdraw is one way like men can passively withdraw is just never grow up and take responsibility. Um, you know, their life is about just more toys, more play, always needing someone to take care of them. Um, often when you see unhealthy family dynamics between uh, mother-in-law and and wife, many times that's because there's a real passive, a passively withdrawn man in between. Mm-hmm. And it's a conflict between two controlling women. And the, But the irony is that his withdrawing from intimacy is actually significantly affecting or shaping both relationships. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, he's wounding both of them. And it exacerbates the situation by, right. I think, um, the women would fall more prey to wanting to control it because he's not holding up his his role. And then um, I think that just feeds both both sinful tendencies feed the other and kind of exacerbate. Yeah. Now another way we can be passive, and this is a little, this is much more subtle, but I've noticed this in my in my own heart because it's it's a subtle, it's a safe, shallow niceness that can be a way of actually withdrawing from intimacy. Because so it's a kind of niceness that never really touches anyone. So it's the niceness that's kind of cloaked as being a peacemaker, but it's a selfish peace because what you really want is just no conflict. Mm. And so you'll do anything so there's no conflict, but true love often will say hard things Mm -hmm. and true love will enter into difficult relationships and situations. And there is a certain type of niceness that if true love will enter into hard situations, sometimes nice guys won't. And so they're not actually entering in and it's, you know, the the quote unquote, nice guy. Right, right, right. Quote unquote. Um, well, yeah, I'm talking kind of a, a, a faux niceness that is always smiling, but kind of it's hiding, uh, a a cowardice, Mm -hmm. a, a refusal to actually engage in emotional conversations and difficult things. And we're not Um, saying that this excludes women from this sinful tendency either. Cause I mean, I know I personally struggle with avoiding conflict and wanting, I'm being a coward and wanting to address a a difficult issue Mm -hmm. and having that difficult conversation. And so, um, so these, when we're speaking about these tendencies, we're just kind of generalizing these tendencies as they originate um, to Adam and Eve, but we absolutely um, can 
um, both have both of these tendencies. Mm-hmm. But what I find interesting is I think there's also a tendency, kind of the big, macho, kind of alpha dog jerk of a man who actually is a coward. He he's just as much of a coward as the passive, you know, quote unquote, nice guy, but he just does it in a different way Mm -hmm. because all of his bluster and all of his aggression, you know, he'll yell, he'll command, he'll, he'll bully. Um, but he does all of that because he doesn't have the strength, courage, or wisdom to really enter into and humbly discuss and talk mm-hmm. and be vulnerable enough to to enter in and to learn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can be, um, you can withdraw from intimacy with kind of a pseudo veneer of niceness and kindness. You can also withdraw from intimacy from this like macho bullying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your kind of basic garden variety, just distancing of yourself where you just check out. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're always on your phone. You're always tinkering in the garage. You're always, you know, doing, um, you know, sports can kind of take over your life in such a way where you use them just to check out or a whole bunch of things can be this way, mm-hmm. or you can use it for work. Like you can be a workaholic and it's not really that you love your work. Uh, you just can use work as a mask for not having to actually struggle for real intimacy. Um, the world at work can be so much easier mm-hmm. than the world in other human relationships. Mm-hmm. And so th- those are just different ways. There's a continuum of kind of more active and then more passive ways that we withdraw. But one of our core sins, and you're right, it's both male and female, mm-hmm. but one of the core sins is that we hide. Mm-hmm. We, we try and escape. We mm-hmm. hide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's just... I mean, just a snapshot into just the complexity of how deep just this one aspect of just withdrawing and Mm -hmm. hiding can affect one key area of our life. And this is not contained to marriage. I mean, so like if you're if you're thinking, well, well, I'm not married, so this doesn't apply to me. This applies to every single person who has to deal with other people, another human being. (laughs) And so this is this is relational and Mm -hmm. it's just one of those brokennesses. And I think it's Um, easy to make it age specific, like in our minds, like this is an adult mm, thing. mm -hmm, Like we deal mm -hmm. with this on such a micro level from the very beginning of our lives as toddlers. Like we have to deal with conflict. We have to learn how to share. We have to learn how to communicate what we're feeling and enter into difficult conflict, Mm -hmm. um, situations. Mm -hmm. So this Mm -hmm. is something that's universal of all, uh, men and women, boys and girls for all time. So let's move into the gospel and let's get to Jesus because there's so many good gospel echoes that are, it's almost like the first notes you're hearing of a symphony that's going to be unleashed by the time you get to the cross and the resurrection. But just some of the, some of the, the beautiful ones. I'm so, I'm always struck by how, uh, you know, sin entered in the world by Satan's temptation to Eve. He says, take and eat. And then every Sunday we celebrate the reversal of that take and eat with another invitation from Christ to us at the Lord's Supper to take mm-hmm. and eat. And it just strikes me that, you know, work, Genesis chapter two is setting really the paradigm for work. And you can see God is a is a gardener who gets his hands dirty in working. But in this world, we have to, the way it works is that we have to work to earn our rest. So like you start out with two weeks of vacation, hopefully, and then you you can work up or, you know, two days of vacation. And the longer you work, the more rest you receive. Mm -hmm. 
but the gospel is the exact reversal. Mm-hmm. Uh, his work, you know, we begin because of his work. We begin with rest that our um, souls are at rest. We rest in his accomplished work. We rest in his salvation. We rest in his grace. We rest in his strength. And then our work flows out of uh, that rest. And then as we think about just the theme of hiding, you know, it's so beautiful because here in Genesis chapter three, you really have the first uh, first worship service. You have the first sermon, which is God giving the promise. Mm-hmm. And then you have the first symbol to confirm that promise, which is him providing the than the sacrifice and providing the coverings, but it's almost like the first game of hide and seek. They're hiding mm-hmm. and God's going seeking. Mm-hmm. He goes, he goes to them. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that. He still, he goes to them right after they've disobeyed in that way. I mean, he knows where they are. And so mm-hmm. when he says he's seeking them out as he's, he's drawing them out, he's drawing near to them, even in their, sin and their brokenness and he he draws near to the conflict yeah. and doesn't avoid it. Yeah, and so you you don't have to hide anymore. Mm-hmm. So even as we talk about one of our universal tendencies is to withdraw, but there's no life there. There's no healing. You can never experience the intimacy in with with God or with others that you were created for as long as you hide. You can't heal as long as you're hiding. Mm-hmm. And he goes and he he gets them. Mhm. One of the most healing and restorative things for our souls is not to hide. I think that's just one of the, the things that I got from this chapter. Um, the title of her teaching chapter is you don't have to hide. It's like if you're running from the reality that there is a God who sees and knows all, um, the reality is like we can't hide. And so um, just receive the fact that he sees all. And that's one of the most comforting things because we can just rest in the one who knows all and covers all all of our sin. Mm-hmm. Why is that such a comforting fact that he sees? Well, it's scary and mm-hmm, comforting. Mm-hmm. You know, he sees all. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Mm-hmm. And so it's scary because we sin all the time. But it is comforting because in Christ, those sins are covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here... Um, and you can see the beginning, that the hints, the echoes of that covering... As he makes garments for them, the substitution theme, one of the first notes of the major themes of the Bible, of the the substitute, and uh, and you see the glory of Christ. You know, kind of channel some inner Tim Keller. The glory of Christ is that in Christ we have a new and better Adam. Uh, the first Adam was placed in a garden uh, that was perfect, and he was given one command: "If you obey me about the tree, and you'll live." And then the second Adam, uh, Christ, was placed in a very different garden mm. um, on the night that he was betrayed. And the command was, if you obey me about this tree, the cross, you're actually going to die. But it's in that obedience. You know, the first Adam failed. Mm-hmm. He fell. But then the second Adam, uh, he didn't. And mm-hmm. so we have our life and our salvation uh, through him. One of the things I was just being drawn back to and just so thankful for is the idea of how all of the covering comes from his hand. Even the first initial inadequate covering of the animal skins um, to, to cover up their nakedness and how that wasn't even fully um, adequate. But um, in what they could not do from, for themselves, 
God did for them. Even like God even provided the animal skins for them to cover themselves and how, um, our covering of course in Christ is given to us from God's hand. It is not anything that we do in and of ourselves or can ever earn only thing that is adequate to cover our sins is Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross. Amen. Well said, <laughs> preacher's wife. So oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, this was a great chapter. We encourage you to to read it and go through it. If not, um, we're so glad you joined us uh, for the podcast discussing chapter three of Seeing Jesus in Genesis. Hope you have a great week. Yep.